सुस्थापका चर्मस्वस्वे अवतार वरिष्ठा रामकृष्णा ते नम वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणूरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्णं वंदे जगद्गुरु So in the last class, we were studying the seventeenth and the eighteenth slokas, the seventeenth and the eighteenth verses of the third chapter of Srimad Bhagavad Gita, where we found that the karma yoga has been explained from the perspective of a self-realized person. That when a person through chitta shuddhi attains self-realization. then he or she becomes a unique person because he is not bound by any sense of external compulsion of duty as will be described in as was described in the 17th verse the 17th shloka of the third chapter so we quickly just try to recapitulate the central theme of the 17th and the 18th shloka before we proceed to the succeeding shlokas so what was the 17th shloka यस्तु आत्मतृप्त मानव आत्मन चुष्ट तस्म न विद्यते यस्तु आत्मतिरव सर्सन हु इज डिलाइटेड इन आत्मन आत्मरति रति मीन्स टू डिलाइट द वन हुज डिलाइट इज इन द सेल्फ द वन हु इज सैटिस्फाइड आत्मतृप्त Who is satisfied in Atman? Yes, to Atma Ratirevasyat, one who delights in Atman, Atma Triptaschamanava, the one who is satisfied in the Atman. He needs nothing else. He dwells in the self and self alone. Atman Nieva cha Santushta. He finds joy in Atman alone. So, for such an action, for such a person, Tasya Karyang Navidyate. there is no if you translate the word karya as action it means that as if he can resort to actionlessness but that's the that's not the real meaning if we try to study the 18th shloka which follows the 17th shloka you will find that karya actually means a sense of duty but to go beyond sense of duty doesn't entail in actionlessness the sense of duty means as if i am bound i am slave that these are the responsibilities i am the karta i am the doer i have to do it there is no other way so that's the sense with which most of us do the work that life is as if squeezing me out once i thought that with my education i will get a good job 
And that's the ultimate goal. That good job from that I will give my name, fame, position, wealth, everything in life. With that I will sustain my family and the life will be at ease. And then we find that life is never at ease. We have to go through the struggles at each and every step of life. There are so many hidden obstacles in our life which is which becomes palpably visible only when we are in that state of life from distant everything looks to be appears to be quite smooth quite heavenly but when we are in it just the way we say that the moon appears to be so smooth only from distance when you go to the moon you find it is full of the mountains there's, there are this precipice, everything is there. It's extremely uneven land, but from a distance it appears to be very smooth. So in this life, that's what, whenever we are looking at a goal, which is still far-fetched to be far-fetched, it is far away. It looks from a distance, everything is okay. But when we reach the goal, we find that the life can never be without the struggles, worries, tensions, problems. And then I feel there is no way out. I have been stuck. This is my duty. I have to do it. So that sense of duty falls when one becomes established in the self. So for him what happens? He is no more in the flow. He is sitting on the bank of, the, of life and is watching the flow. So nothing as such touches him. It's not that all the problems for him resolves. The life with its ups and downs are still there. But he is no more identified with them. He can observe them. So that entails not in actionlessness. Because as long as we are in body, even to sustain our body, the action has to go on. A breathing, taking food, everything entails action. Even the falling of the eyelids, as in Bhagavad Gita only, Bhagavan will be speaking of. Unmission, Nimishanapi, whatever I, in my each and every moment of life, speaks of action. I can never be actionless. So let the action, as per the, as per the situation of life, action, let it flow. But not with a sense of duty, but with a sense of the idea that there is some force which is much larger than life. There is some existence which is much larger than life. You may call it God, you may call it Allah, you may call it Ishwar, you may call any by any name. That we acknowledge. That it is, there is a force of which we are just a mere instrument. So let the body go on working as an instrument to the divine. I am neither in any way attached to the results of it because if I am an instrument, if I am not the doer, the question of enjoyment doesn't come. Only if you are a doer, then only you can be the enjoyer. So with that sense, when you go on pursuing your actions, the actions continue. But without any sense of that rigorous duty. So he has no obligatory duty to perform. 
his actions become spontaneous he just becomes a benefactor of the human kind whatever he does whatever he thinks it is only for the good and good of the entire existence and that also he does almost unconsciously it is a spontaneous thing even he doesn't know just as shankaracharya very nicely in vivek churamani has indicated that a realized soul is just like the spring season vasantavat the spring doesn't know that it reinvigorates invigorates life the life as if springs back that's why it is called spring that in the winter when everything appear to be as if getting dry the leaves get dried the plants everything appears to be as if struggling for existence the life has as if withered away and then everything comes springs back to life again in the spring but does the spring season knows it no just its mere presence brings back life to the entire existence so such a realized soul everything becomes spontaneous in the words of ramakrishna that je nachte jane tar betale pa porena that when you are when you are just learning to dance you have lot of do's and don'ts that your each and every step should be in rhythm what you have to do what you should avoid all those things you have to be aware of at each and every step then only you can have the perfect steps in your dance a little distraction makes you out of rhythm but one who is an adept dancer who has learned the dancing very well now it has become spontaneous and now most probably he or she is teaching the students the music is being played and he or she is instructing the students who are learning to dance and she is going on instructing them while instructing she herself also is dancing but you will find that though her most of her mind is in instruction is in instruction she is instructing but still her her steps never fall out of rhythm why her dance has become spontaneous similarly a realized soul his actions has attained a state of spontaneity and whatever he does he doesn't have to plan that i have to do some good thing whatever he does that is imitated by the entire humanity as good so what is spontaneous for him that becomes sadhana for the entire humanity so his action still continues but it has stayed has attained a state of spontaneity and it is only meant for the welfare of the entire human kind so that's the idea to certain extent if we study between the lines the next verse you will find that idea is being vividly explained there so what's the 18th shloka speaks of what it says naiva na eva naiva tasya kritena artha so he or she has no object in this world to gain artha means to some objective some goal he has nothing to attain there is no as such any goal in life which he can attain through action kritena through action krita to do something kritena by action he is there is nothing in this world which he can gain by action the next phrase is very important na akritenaeha
kashchana. This word artha has to be linked with both these phrases. That is that without uh, there is nothing which he can attain even with inaction. Akrita na akriti neha kashchana. That in our life, sometimes I think that certain job is going to is going to fetch me happiness. I go for it. And after seeing the struggles there, a fake renunciation comes. Oh, enough of it. I don't want to be in it. I renounce it. I think as if I have renounced, I have done a great job. But actually, by resorting to inaction, I am trying to seek my comfort zone, a security zone, all the struggles I want to avoid. So there also, that in avoidance also there is a seeking. I seek comfort, I seek security, and that's why I try to avoid. But for a man of realization, there is no question of seeking, no question of avoiding. So Swami Vivekananda always used to use that, that phrase which is very so common with Swami Vivekananda that seek not, avoid not. Its source you will find in this 18th sloka. Naiva na eva tasya kritenartha. He has nothing to gain by doing something. Na akrite neha kaschana. Neither he has to gain something by inaction, by not doing. Na cha asya sarva bhuteshu kaschid artha vyapasraya. And he, he, what is that? There are two ways we try to gain something by doing some action or by depending on someone. The children depends on the parent. The, the, where you, the, the employees depend on the employer. I will do some work and at the same time he should be happy with me so that I can continue with my job. I can flourish in my job. So there is a question of relationship as well as work. In all our India, where there are two things. One is relationship, another is the work. Everywhere. Whether it's your family, you have to work out and you have to maintain the relationship. So here they are saying that for a man of realization, there is no selfish motive behind doing an action or even not doing an action, nor in his relations. He or she, uh, there is no need for depending on anyone for any desirable object. That's the meaning of the second line. Nacha asya sarva bhuteshu kaschid artha vyapasraya. That when he is interacting with the entire world, sarva bhuteshu, kaschid artha, there is no objective. It doesn't serve any selfish purpose for that person. So, nor he or she has, is, has an, the need for depending on anyone for any desirable object. So here he will find that idea of actionlessness has been totally denied, decried. That action goes on, but not with a sense of duty. What with, with what sense? Even if a man of, if you, if you are a realized soul, that also doesn't enter in actionlessness. So Bhagavad Gita will now bring forth the idea of uh, what they call it? That is, uh, in the next uh, sloka, 
the, it will come that idea of loka sangraha loka sangraha is a wonderful idea which bhagwan will bring bhagwan krishna will bring now in the concept of karma yoga so first uh, let us read the 19th sloka from where you will find that if the 17th and the, if you take the 17th sloka means actionlessness and 18th sloka you translate that as many traditional way they translate that there is no uh, need for a realized soul there is no he doesn't attend any anything he doesn't gain anything by action and nakritenaha kashchana the real translation is he doesn't gain anything by actionlessness but that has been translated that he doesn't uh, lose anything by not doing action he doesn't incur sin by not doing action and that's how we find that's because of that distorted translation the india with all its profound spiritual ideal for thousands of years resorted to actionlessness and which was the cause of his degradation it's not because the scriptures actually have told us for that we misinterpreted it how we have misinterpreted if we really try to link the 17th sloka says that there is no there is karma falls off and that karma means sense of duty that's what we are saying 18th sloka says that you are you gain nothing a realized soul gain nothing by action and nothing by inaction that's what the exact word mean but if you translate you gain nothing by action and you incur no sin by inaction and that way if you inspire actionless then it should be it should be uh, authenticated by the bhagavad gita itself but if you go to the next sloka you will find that you can in no way link with the 18th 17th and 18th sloka that next sloka what it is saying tasmat asakta satata karyam karma samachara so therefore after saying the 17th and 18th the word therefore comes only as a conclusion how will you link then they are saying that you continue to do action in a detached way without attachment if the 18th sloka have really meant that a man of realization need not do any action then where from where the idea that you continue with your work comes where nowhere bhagwan is saying that you stop your action tasmat asakta satatam karyam karma samachar asakto hi acharan karma param apnoti purusha so therefore perform your actions without attachment by performing action without attachment the human being attains to the highest good tasmat asakta therefore without any attachment satatam continuously continuously unceasingly karyam karma the actions which are prescribed for you as per your state of life as per your temperament your swabhava continue to go on doing asakto hi acharan karma if you go on performing action without that attachment know it for certain you are going to attain the param highest param means the highest apnoti that becomes something yours in bhagavad gita the word this two word come one is prapti and another is apti wherever the word apti apnoti speaks of apti to attain there are two ways of attainment 
something which you do not have to attain that is called prapti but something which you have but you forgot about it you have some treasure with you you are not aware of it and then suddenly you become aware of it so that is called apti this apraptasya prapti is prapti the thing which is not with me at present when i get it that is prapti praptasya prapti the thing which is already with me in sanskrit they speak of chamika nyaya the necklace is hanging around your neck and suddenly it has got covered with your cloth or whatever it may be and you are busy suddenly you feel you you have lost your necklace it has been as if stolen and you are in frantic search of it where is my necklace and then someone points oh what a nice person you are it is hanging around your neck and then suddenly you fumble and you find oh it's there only somehow i felt that it is not there so it was always with you as sri ramakrishna gives a nice funny example that in the dead night a, ma- a hemp smoker had the urge for having the to having that hemp to smoke hemp and then he went to the neighbor's house and knocked the door the neighbor opened the door and asked for what at this dead of night you you are here and he told you know that uh, i have this habit of smoking uh, can you please uh, just uh, give me something to light my hemp and this person told wow what a nice person you are you are having a lantern in your hand in the night he just came to the neighbor's house with a lantern in the ha- in his hand the light is already with him and he is in search of that light so that's what speaks of apnuti that we are the self that the mask is in the deer's navel and the fragrance makes that deer mad it goes on f- running frantically in search of that source of that fragrance it gets exhausted sometimes it dies without knowing that the source of fragrance is in him kasturi mriga so that's the idea the self is within me param apnoti why instead of saying prapti why it is speaking of apti because you attain the highest which is already within you that all the fulfillment is within you you are the self nothing you can attain because it is already with you you are already fulfilled somehow because of the ignorance and ignorance came from the idea of aham ego that i am this body mind complex from that arose all the sense of duty when the ignorance falls off you know that you are the atman which somehow was deluded by seeing the reflection in this body mind complex and thought it to be the be all and end all of existence when you go beyond that by realizing the self which is not something you have to attend it is already you are already that and then what happens that you go to that liberation the state of liberation where nothing can bind you and that's the only criteria for liberation is unselfishness whether you are a gyani or a bhakta or a yogi there's only the moment the selfishness falls off you are liberated a gyani by constantly doing that vichara that i am atman i am brahman 
is trying to go beyond the idea of this limited self. A karma yogi, by getting relinquishing the idea of attachment, which comes from that idea of limited self, is going to go is trying to go beyond that limitation. The yogi through meditation is also trying to do the same thing. So the basic thing is to go beyond that selfishness. As, when, as we find in the words of Ramakrishna, when someone is to ask Ramakrishna, Ami mukto habo kabe, when shall I be free? His answer was, when I, that I within the inverted comma, cease to be, Ami jabe jabe. Ami mukto habo kabe, Ami jabe jabe. That Ami, that I, the sense of the limited individuality, you have to go beyond that. You're already the Brahman, which nothing can tarnish, which nothing can annihilate. It's always there in its glory. Everything else is a mere projection of it. So once you realize that, how is it possible? That is possible through this detached action. So that's why go on doing this detached action. There is no question of seizing of the action. Only it should be done with detachment, not with a sense of duty. So after this, from the 20th sloka onwards, the idea of this uh, uh, loka sangraha, that even a realized soul who has nothing, that nothing to bind, he should also continue with his action. As long as we are breathing, as long as life is, action has to continue. As our Swami Sridharandaji in his Gita talk constantly goes on saying again and again that idea that when you are in ICU, when a person is in ICU, what's the indication that there's no more life? When all those, you know, that's all the monitors, the ECG, the EEG and other monitors, as long as there is a wave, the curves are there, it shows life is. When the curve becomes a straight line, no more life. So that no action, that straight line says it's no action, it is only possible when the life is no more. A dead person is, is the only one who can be actionless. As long as, as long as life is, the curves are there, the action has to go on. And that's the thing even for a realized soul, the action should go on for him also. This idea in Bhagavad Gita very clearly mentioned, which we never understood properly. Bhagavad Gita, as Swami Ranganathanji used to say, was never studied. We only covered it with a red cloth and kept it in the altar and just offered some flowers, thinking it to be holy. What's inside it? We never tried to decipher it. What a wonderful treasure for humanity is there. We just worship the Gita. We never studied. What a wonderful idea. Here in the 20th sloka, it's speaking of what is he saying? Karma naivahi sangsiddhim. Asthita janakadaya. Even for a realized soul. His action alone. Janaka, the king Janaka, who has attained perfection. He is giving an example from history. So Krishna is saying that, see, look at king Janaka, the Rajarshi. He is a king, but he is a rishi. Raja, but rishi. Rajarshi. 
So he attained perfection through action. Loka Sangraham, this the word comes here in Bhagavad Gita. The concept of Loka Sangraha. Loka Sangraham eva api sampashyam kartum arhasi. So you are, you, are, you are bound to action. You should perform action. Your duties, your actions, your prescribed duties with a view to ensure Loka Sangraha. Now this Loka Sangraha, this word is a technical term. In, 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 a, in, a, this, in a way, we, if we try to say this Loka Sangraha, Sangraha in Sanskrit means to collect, to integrate. So if you want the integrity, the stability of the human society, you should never resort to inaction. Even if when you are an illumined soul, you know you are the self, everything else is a flow. So how to resort to actionlessness? Not by really relinquishing action, but going beyond that sense of identity. That I know that this is a flow which is going on in the form of body-mind complex and is extension as the world. But I am the self beyond that, just witnessing. I am not a part of it. I am apart from it and I am just the witness of it. So with that, let the action go on, even as a realized soul. That is required for the stability, for the integrity of the entire human society. So you may ask that a realized soul, whether he is acting or not acting, with that, how the integrity of the entire humanity is linked. So the answer is in the next verse, the 21st. What he is saying? Yeah, Bhagavan is saying, Yat yat acharati sreshtaha tat tat eva itaru janaha That whatever a superior person, the sreshtha, the illumined soul, the superior person, whatever he acharan, whatever he does, whatever he performs, yat yat acharati sreshtaha that whatever a superior person does, tat tat eva itaro jana, itaro means the others, the, inf- the so-called inferior, who are not yet, who are yet to attain that illumined state, state of illumination which speaks of the entire humanity. We all are that itarojana who are yet to attain to that highest rung of spiritual realization. So whatever they do, the all, the entire humanity follows them. So that is followed by others. So whatever the superior person does, that is always followed by the others. That's what the humanity speaks of. So, yat yat pramanang kurute. Pramanang means the standard. That whatever standard a, re- a realized soul fix for the entire humanity, whatever he demonstrates as, and keeps it as an example, that's the pramana. Loka tat anuvartate. The entire humanity follows their way. Follows that as the way of life. So, even uh, let us forget for the timing of the illumined soul. In our own family, in the home you will find, when the child is growing up, whatever the father does, whatever the mother does, the child has a tendency to imitate that. For the children, 
father and mother are the examples. So they will be wearing their father's shoes. They won't they, they always prefer the big shoes they will wear and they will go around their house. So what it speaks of that we have that faculty of awe. That awe faculty what speaks of? That something within us is constantly, as we will say, that the self is echoing through our body-mind complex, that you are limitless, you are boundless, you are infinite. But as we are identified with the body-mind complex and we try to endeavor to do anything in this life, we find limits. Even from, a, uh, from the point of view that of a small child, it wants to jump on the top of the roof, it cannot. It's always jumping, having fun, frolic. It's always finding there are so many limitations. From where that awe faculty comes, you will find that the children are so much absorbed with this, all these comic movies. They will just go to the video, uh, just any uh, this video. They will play the video of this, this comic movies, Spider-Man, Batman, all this. And nowadays there are so many. Very interesting. When we study our own epic, the Ramayana Mahabharata, sometimes we close that book and think it is very difficult to relate it to our children. Why? Because they are full of supernatural things. They are all mythical. Hanuman is jumping over the ocean. And I think, how can I explain my child? If you ask, is it possible? I forget what the child is doing. He's sitting in front of the screen and just with full absorption seeing something which are all impossible. What the Spider-Man, the Batman, all these comic characters are doing. Just climbing the wall, jumping from the multi-story building. This all appears to be unnatural, but he's so much absorbed in it. Why? Because as a human being, we can never think ourselves as limited. Impossible. Because the self behind is constantly saying, you are beyond all limits. And we find that in this body-mind complex, I cannot reach that state of limitlessness. And these characters helps me to identify with that. And that gives a sense of awe. And I want to be like that. The children will always try to dress like all those comic characters. They want to get identified. Constantly in our human life, we are doing that. That awe faculty has a great role to play. I get bored with my job, with my work. I take a few days leave and what I do? I will be going to some mountains or near the ocean. These are the <coughs> expressions of nature. These are the where we find an idea of limitlessness, the tires of peaks. That makes me awestruck. A sense of limitlessness is there. In the ocean also it's the same thing, the vast expanse. And we get awestruck. Somehow I get identified with that. For the some time being, I lose myself. So this is the thing, this awe faculty is something, even for a small child, that's why you'll find it's always wearing the father's shoes, father's shirt. Why? It's the same sense of, sense of awe works. There are many limitations the child have, because the father doesn't have. The father appears to the child as if beyond so many limits. The mother appears that way. And from that, that sense of imitation comes. When all, even in spiritual life, for the entire humanity, 
we find that our desires, our day-to-day, -day, this all these desires, our physical limitations, gives us a feel of gives us a feeling of what limit a sense of limitation. And when we look at the life of this realized soul, somehow we realize that they are somehow beyond these limitations. The polarities of life, nothing affects them. Nothing limits their love. They can love all without any blood relation, without any uh, restrictions of caste, culture. They have an all-engulfing love. All those things inspires us. Because they all speak of limitlessness. So those are the characters which we naturally trained to imitate. So it becomes a big responsibility for such a character who is an illumined to show us the way which won't be confusing for us. So to be the role model, they have to take that responsibility. So that's why even at home, do always remember the children's never hear us, they imitate us. You may, you, we always go on saying that children doesn't hear us. Yeah, they really don't hear us. They always imitate. They are the minute observers. I still remember when uh, I myself was posted as a, uh, as a young brahmacharin to some residential school, look after the children there. A senior monk gave me only one instruction, only one sentence before uh, I was about to leave from Belumat to go to that center. The instruction was that you think that we are sending you to look after the children, to observe them what they're doing. That's what, isn't it? You're going to observe them day and night. Now, yes, that's obviously, that's the thing. Well, no, it's just the opposite. You should be always aware of the fact when you are in school that the children are observing you. It's not you are observing them. You're observing them, of course. But the other factor is also true and that is something which you should be always aware of. They are minutely observing you. So that should give you a sense of responsibility. It's not that you will be, we are sending you just to instruct them. But you have to live the life so that they automatically, because they are, these children learn through observation. They only imitate us, they don't hear us. So that's the thing which has been spoken of in this that for the most of the people who are yet to be illumined, the selfishness is the factor which is working through their life. And if you instruct, the, if they are seeing you that you are all actionless, a realized soul is actionless, they will immediately pull down the ideal. In life, whenever there is a little struggle, whenever there is a little hardship, they will say, oh, that's the way. See, he's a realized soul, he has left the action. I forget that if, even if he's resorting to actionlessness, he has actually gone beyond the limitations. But I am actually resorting to some comfort zone, thinking that if I avoid that, I will be happy. I won't be happy. But immediately reaction is, let me leave that. And for that, I find an example of a realized soul, he's actionless. But in the history, have you found any realized soul who is really actionless? Shankaracharya's commentary is full of that idea that go beyond the work, that through action you can never go to that realization. 
but you just see his own life. He is speaking of going beyond action, but he himself has traversed within the age of 32 the India, not only once, quite a number of times up and down he has traversed, formed the four matas, <clears throat> the Dasnami Sampradha, a huge amount of the stupendous work which he has done, wrote commentaries. When he is writing his commentary, <clears throat> that why he is decrying action, if you take the context you will understand that in the name of religion, Yaga Yagya, this, all these Yagyas, this fire, elaborate fire sacrifice, that became equanimous with religion. He was decrying that. In no way he was decrying the actions which are meant for our Chitta Shuddha, our day-to-day -day actions as per our Swabhava, as per the position of life which we are placed in. But somehow there was again that misinterpreted as action that we have to go beyond all actions. All actions leads to bondage. So this is so that way. If we uh, if a realized soul he really resorts to actionlessness, that will result in the destabilization of the society. So because we always take them as the example, very. Uh, in a, Ramakrishna has a very funny way. His parables were very interesting to relate to these ideas. He gives, he just, in one of his parables is a very interesting idea which actually reflects this sloka. What he says, that the poor villagers were invited by a landlord for a feast. There was some celebration, so he just gave a feast for that all the villagers were invited, even the poor villagers were invited. Now these poor villagers never had certain delicacies. When certain delicacies were served to them, as they have never seen such delicacies, to uh, be sure of the fact that it is something which is edible. It is not something which is trash. Just as we are poor, something which is not edible, the zamindar, the landlord is just giving it to us to ensure that it is not something trash, it is not something junk. It is a delicacy. It is something nourishing. How they inquire it, how they confirm it, they will be inquiring. How is whether this same item, this menu, has it been served to those who are those aristocrats who are sitting there in that other corner? If they find it has been served to them, then say, ah, it's, you can serve it to us. So very funny way Ramakrishna is saying that if it has been served to them, then you can, then it is confirmed that it is not something trash. It is a delicacy. So that's the way that always the illumined ones who are the stretched to the superior, others have a natural tendency to follow them. So even a realized soul shouldn't resort to actionlessness because they are the role model. In the next three verses, after giving the example of Janaka, Sri Krishna will be referring to himself the God incarnate, he himself is an example of relentless action, but with a different motivation. What he is saying in the 22nd sloka? Name parthasti kartavyam trishu lokeshu kinchana O partha, O Arjuna There is no duty. Name partha asti kartavyam There is no duty for me. I am beyond all duty. Nothing binds me in these three lokas, in Trishu, Lokeshu, Kinchana. I have Partha, I have no duty. 
Nothing is there that I have to gain through action in the three lokas. Nanavaptyam avaptavyam varta eva cha karmani. Nanu aptam na eva apta apta means nothing I can gain nor I am going to lose. There is nothing I have yet to gain in the three worlds. But still I continue my action. So the Arjuna is, Krishna is speaking of his state, his spiritual state, that he has gone to that state where for him there is no sense of duty. There is no duty. Nothing he can gain through action. There is nothing which is yet to gain. In the three worlds, yet I do continue in action. Varta eva chakarmani. Still I continue with my action. That's what, that it's a wonderful idea that Krishna's life, he's a God incarnate. But you'll find that in a wonderful way, he's an exemplification of karma yoga. That the real idea of seek not, avoid not. You will find a very interesting thing that Krishna is a king maker. Throughout his life, he has really helped in so many kingdoms wherever he find, found that the evil is finding predominance. He took the side of the good to win over the evil and he had the capacity, the power to be the king himself. But every time you will find that when he has won over the evil, he will be putting to the, he will be just, uh, just uh, ascribing the throne to some other person. He never has taken the throne. Even in Dwaraka, it was Balaram who was ruling. We say Krishna is Dwarakadhish. He never was the king of any of the kingdoms, never. Now, why? It's very interesting that, you know, these are the Purana stories are very interesting. That the ancestors of Krishna, one of the, the, the early ancestors called Yayati. Yayati was a king of Hastinapura. And for some reason, he was cursed by Shukracharya that he will lose all his youth. And suddenly he became an old person. Now Yayati was extremely disappointed that he couldn't enjoy his youth. He has become old. And now Shukracharya somehow, after giving the curse, he was regretting. Later he found that, that it was not proper to give him the curse, but now he cannot take it away. So now he was thinking of a way that somehow the king can come out of the curse. So now this Shukracharya told, you cannot uh, that become young again. But if any of your son, if anyone gives his youth to you, then you can regain your uh, this uh, youth, uh, <coughs> your youth, you, your youth again. You can again be young. So now Yayatis asked his younger, his elder son first. His name was Yadu. Are you ready to give your youth? So he disagreed. But his younger son, his name was Puru, he agreed. Now as a father, naturally, 
you know that the idea the father's children should always obey the father so yayati was angry with his elder son and cursed him that you will never become the king though you are the elder son but as puru gave me his youth it is he who will be the higher not you and not only that even you your descendants no one ever will become the king so from yadu the word yadava came all the descendants of yadu is yadava so as per the curse of shukracharya none of them could become the king and in that lineage krishna was born he had the capacity to really become the king but he gave weightage to the ancestors word that why very interesting that the idea is you see these perennial values have something interesting that in society the seniors have learned through the experiences of life so their words should be valued <clears throat> because if we don't learn through precepts prescriptions of the elders who have already gone through the experience we also will have to go through the experience to learn and that way <clears throat> we will find <clears throat> we have lost so many the valuable the crucial years of our life so that's why in english they say the wise learns through precepts the fools learn through experience so this is the basic idea that what the elders say please listen to it because they have already went through the experience if i can learn through the precepts i can really get advantage over the difficulties of life the challenges of life so this is the basic idea so krishna though he had the power to overrule the curse of shukracharya for that fam- family for, for the entire descendants of yadu he never did that to establish the idea that the precepts of the seniors has to be followed and in his life we find that what is needed for the good of the humanity that he is doing that though he is not becoming the king he is the king maker one after other there are so many innumerable examples where krishna is the king maker but is not becoming the king so he has accepted the rulings of his ancestors by not becoming the king and but he is making others the king but at the same time he is not ceasing to act for the welfare of all and he has no regret for not being the king if you see that life wonderful life that's why now we will now we can relate this word that seek not avoid not he has accepted the situation in which he is born he is a god incarnate now when he is a human he accepts all the human limitations in such a family i have been born which is having this particular curse he accepts that but at the same time he doesn't stop from doing action what is needed that all the establishment of dharma that for which he, uh, the, the purpose of his birth is for the establishment dharma sangsthapana to uh, what you say the rescue the good ones to destroy the evil and to establish religion paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya chatushkritam this is the idea which will come in the succeeding sl- chapters of bhagavad gita dharma sangsthapanarthaya sambhavami yuge yuge so to establish the religion to establish righteousness he is unceasingly working without any selfish motive 
So that's why now you will find that what's the significance behind this word when Krishna is saying, Nami Parthasti Kartavyam. I have nothing to attain in this selfish, no selfish goal I have in the entire world. But just look at me, I am continuing to do action. I have nothing to gain in these three worlds, yet I do continue in action. So this action is with the best example of what Swamiji used to say again and again, seek not, avoid not. He's not avoiding. Whatever the purpose of his birth is to establish the religion and that he is doing, for which there is no selfish motive. And the next sloka is just reaffirmation to the fact what he has said. Yadihi ahang, yadihang, yadihi ahang na varteyang, jatu karmani atandrita, mama vartma anuvartante, manushya partha sarvasha. Yadihi ahang, if I na varteyang, jatu karmani Atandrita. Atandrita means unceasingly. Atandra means to sleep. Atandra means just not resorting to sleep. Means continuously. That is the word which has been used in, in, a, in a what is this literary sense. That to do unceasing action means atandrita. If I don't continue unceasingly to do action without any relaxation, that's the word atandrita means no relaxation. O Partha, know it for certain. What will happen? The men and women would in every way follow my example. So they also will resort to actionlessness. You will find that there is some action which in no way is required for the illumined soul. But why he is doing? Just when the children are playing with toys, you will find the father also takes part in it. Does the father have any need for playing with the toys? No. But why he does? He knows he has no need for to play with the toy, but the child do have. It is the game, it is the playing with the toys through which the child's intellect develops. So it's a part of his education process, learning process. It has no meaning for him. But just to encourage the children, with the play of toys, he also takes part. So that's the idea which has been spoken of even in the Brahma Sutras that Loka Vattu Leela Kaivalyam. Just, just for what you say that everything they do simply as a way of sport to keep an example for the humankind. They have no purpose. They are Dehasthopina Dehastha. They are though in the body but they don't in no way part of it. In the body but not of it. Dehasthopi na dehastha. They are always aware of their this divine origin. In no way they are forgetful of it. But still they are acting as human beings. So that if they know it for well that whatever they do, the others will follow. In this context, I will just uh, uh, give an example, you know, when the Belurmat was formed, <clears throat> now Swami Vivekananda made a rule for all about waking up early at 4 a.m. and which was applicable even to the direct disciples. Now they were all realized soul. They were all beyond all those rules. They have 
they have realized what has to be realized in this human body. For them, rules are not applicable. But he made it something compulsory for all. And not only that, he himself every day will go to that the prayer hall for his meditation. And if anyone missed, he made a rule that he won't be allowed to have his meals in the monastery. That day he has to go outside for bhiksha, for madhukari. And Swami uh, Shivananda, the second president of our order, he relates this incident and says that he himself went quite a number of time for bhiksha because occasionally it do happen that they didn't get up early in the morning. But why Swamiji made this rule? Simple, as simple as that. He used to say that if we ourselves do not abide by these rules, how can you expect these novices, the young boys will do so? So Apuni, even in Chaitanya Charitamrita, that's the one line which nicely it is me indicates this idea. Aponi achori dharmo jibere shekhai. You yourself practice to teach others. The word acharya means that. That you are teaching not through instructions, but through acharana, by acting that way, by walking your talk. So if I don't walk my talk, why will others follow? So that's why Bhagavan as an incarnation, he's always aware of his divine origin, but he's unceasingly acting because he knows very well the entire humanity is bound to follow him. So he is keeping an example for them. So that's the idea which Krishna, first after giving the example of Janaka, he's speaking of himself. And then in the 24th, 25th, 26th, this idea, the same idea will be elaborated that how, if he does resort to inaction, in what way it is going to harm the human society. And then in conclusion he will say that there are two types of being in this world. One is illumined and the others are not illumined. And what's the responsibility of the illumined towards the unillumined? And there, there he will conclude this idea of Loka Sangra by saying that action is something which we have to resort to whether we are illumined or unillumined. Only the orientation changes, but the action has to continue if we want the welfare of the entire world, of the entire humanity. So that's the idea which Bhagavan will be stressing through these slokas. So karma is something which is, equi- which is equi- uh, synonymous to life. As long as life is, it has to, it has to go on. But with what type of attitude, with what orientation I do, that speaks of karma yoga. So the entire stress for karma yoga is not what type of actions we are going to do. What, what actions we are going to do. Whatever action is prescribed for us as for a way of life is okay. How we do it, that is important. What we do is not important. How we do it. With what attitude we do it. And that's what Bhagavan is trying to bring home for all of us, that awareness through all these slokas. So we will continue with the 24th, 25th and 26th sloka, which will be elaborating the same idea that how Bhagavan himself through his life is showing the, uh, is exemplifying the concept of Loka Sangraha. That will be uh, described in these slokas, which we will again continue in the next class. So with this, we uh, stop our discussion today.
थैंक यू ऑल फॉर ज्वाइनिंग नमस्कार